You're listening to the Oaks Church, a faith family located in Denham Springs, Louisiana. For more information about the Oaks, visit oaksonline.org. By, by God's grace that I can preach Jesus to you. It's by God's grace that I can, I can have his words in front of me and speak about his name and what he's done. I do not take reading his word in front of you lightly. And I do not take preaching his word in front of you lightly. This morning we're going to uh, start a new book, 1 John. Uh, if you can, just go there, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And as you turn there, my prayer has been as we walk through these books, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, my prayer is that God would keep transforming us into the image of His Son, Jesus. That's been my prayer. And also my prayer has been that He would assure us in our salvation. And this comes through the Word and through the Spirit of God. That has been my prayer ever since I started studying 1 John, that God would keep transforming you into, it, into the Son, to the image of His Son, Jesus. But as we look at First John, I think it's very important, very, very important that we start with context, that we start with background, that we understand First John and why John even wrote this letter. It's going to give us clarity as we, as we look in the Scriptures, as we look and we seek to understand what we, are we supposed to get out of this wonderful book that John has written. What are we supposed to get out of this? And so, to start with, we need to kind of understand who is the author? Who is this man writing this letter? We all have heard about the Apostle John, the Beloved. He's one of the twelve disciples that walked closely with Jesus his three years of ministry. We see that Jesus set aside three other men, and he was one of those three other men out of the twelve that he would bring along specifically so that he can see, and that he could understand. So this is key, even as you see the first four verses that we're going to read this morning. It's key that we understand John, the apostle, one of the disciples is the man who is writing this letter. Because John listened to with his ears. He saw with his eyes. He even touched Jesus. Could you imagine what that was like? Could you imagine what it was like to hear Jesus preach? The Sermon on the Mount the best sermon that you could ever hear? Could you imagine touching the word of life, the eternal God in the flesh? Could you imagine that? John was there. He was an eyewitness. He experienced fully Jesus in the flesh. And he understands it to the fullest. And so as we look through 1 John, let's understand that John was there and he understands fully. He's a trustworthy witness. He's a trustworthy writer. And when he writes 1 John, we can trust his words. 
we can trust his experiences. Also, we see the reason for writing. John's very, very good at this, okay? John's very good at this. In, in the Gospel of John, we see he gives a purpose for writing. He always gives a purpose. In, in, in the Gospel of John, we see in, in uh, chapter 20, verse 31, he gives a purpose for his writing of the Gospel. That we may have eternal life in the name of Jesus. That was his purpose. And he did it in the beginning of Revelation, when he wrote Revelation. John gives great purposes behind his writing. And it's clear he gives four purposes in 1 John. He says, this is the reason I write. It's very clear. And so let me give you the four purposes. In chapter 1, verse 4, he says, to make our joy complete. He says, we write to make our joy complete. And I think once we read verses 1 through 4, you cannot sit here as a believer and not be full of joy. You cannot sit here as a believer and hear about Jesus and what he did and, and who he is and what he came to do and not be full of joy. And that is one of the purposes that John wrote. Second purpose we see in chapter 2, verse 1. So that they will not sin or encourage them to live holy lives. So that's another purpose. See, not one Christian in here is sinless. We'd all agree to that, right? If, if you read First John, he calls you a liar if you say that. <laughs> that's pretty bold, right? He <laughs> says, if you say you haven't sinned, you're a liar. And you call God a liar. Not one Christian in here is sinless. And we don't need to act like it either. We all struggle. We all fight the flesh. The spirit and the flesh are at war with one another. We understand that. But each Christian should be sinning less because of the new creation they have in Christ, the new life they have in Jesus. See, the gospel compels our obedience to Jesus. That's what it does. The good news of Jesus and what he's done, that compels us to be obedient. It's not begrudgingly. It's not... Oh, I guess I have to do this because Jesus said so. That's not the way we live. We do it with joy. The fact that Jesus was perfectly obedient frees us from thinking we can be. And trusting in Jesus for righteousness frees us to live for Him with complete joy. Isn't that freeing? To know that there is one who did live a completely obedient life in place of us, that frees us to live obediently. We're not bound by chains. We can rest in Jesus this morning and every single day that we have rest in his name and that we can live obedient lives for him. The third thing is to protect them from false teaching. Chapter 2, verse 26. At this time, they had this false teaching of uh, docetism, which is basically, they don't believe that Jesus actually came in the flesh, which is a huge problem. Because if Jesus didn't come in the flesh, we don't have salvation. It's just that simple. 
We have a Jesus who can't bleed. We have a Jesus who can't suffer. We have a Jesus who can't die. And we have a Jesus who can't resurrect in bodily form. That's huge. Because in Christ, we are dead. And in Christ, we have life. In Christ, we have these things. And it's because Jesus came in the flesh. So basically, they held to a belief that Jesus came not in the flesh. He didn't really suffer and die. And his body wasn't really raised from the dead. John is like, that's not acceptable. He actually calls them antichrist. He's, he's pretty bold. He's an older man. He's got gray hair. He's bold. And when he speaks to them, he speaks as a, like a father figure. And he says, those who believe that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, don't believe that spirit. These people are antichrist. And so, the last thing which I think combines all these purposes is the assurance of salvation. He writes to assure them of their salvation. Now, I know nobody in here struggles with the doubt of their salvation or never has, right? This is something very prevalent within the church. And partially because I don't want, I don't want to... I don't want you to think one way because of the fact that it's possible that you may not know Jesus. That we could have an emotional experience and raise our hand and walk down an aisle and think that is what it means to have fellowship with Jesus. And I don't want to give you a false assurance of, of salvation, but John, as we go through 1 John, we see that one of the things he does is he keeps assuring them, those who do not live in the light do not know God. For God is light and there is no darkness within him. So if you live in the darkness, you don't know God. Okay, that brings assurance for believers. But it also can bring doubt for those who don't believe. And so my purpose and John's purpose is not to bring doubt necessarily. But if by him assuring the believers in the faith brings doubt, pray. Ask the Spirit to reveal Jesus to you. Ask the Spirit to truly give you assurance if you do have salvation in his name. And if you don't, that God would enlighten you. That he would reveal the Son to you and your need for him. So, as we go through 1 John... Understand that I'm not trying to make you doubt your salvation. But there's going to be scriptures that come up about, look, if you don't love your brother, you don't have the love of God in you. If you love the world and the things in it, the pride of life, the love of the Father is not in you. I know those are very harsh and strong words. And as I read through it, it makes me really sit and pray and ask, am I worldly? Do I love the world? But it also gives me assurance, too, of my faith. And I pray that as we read through these hard texts, 
as you read through the scripture, I pray that you will have assurance of your salvation. This will make your faith stronger. And so let's, let's read 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4, now that we have a background of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, it was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write these things to make our joy complete. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word and that you are a God who reveals yourself through, through the word of God, through speaking to our feeble minds. God, I pray that your spirit would reveal to our hearts where we need to change in our thinking about Jesus And God, I pray that the Spirit, it would compel us to seek fellowship with others who do not have it. pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we see in 1 John chapter 1, there's a bunch of theology here. It's very, very exciting that John writes in such a way that he gives us theology about Jesus. He gives us an understanding of who Jesus is. And so, this is the first thing we see in verses 1 through 2. Jesus is the true, eternal life who was with the Father and has been revealed in history. Don't take that truth lightly. That should cause you, your mind to just blow up. That is grace. That is Jesus giving us grace. That he came in history of humanity. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus was with the Father. And he came in the flesh on earth and walked among us. That is just amazing to me. I still cannot wrap my mind around that. I just sat in that this whole week just thinking, wow, Jesus came here in this. Does that, does that just blow your mind? It blows my mind. He is so gracious and so humble and so good to us that He comes down in the things in the form of things he created. It's a mystery. It really is. But the gospel is so 
so compelling. It's so compelling. And so what we see is Jesus is fully God. He is fully God. Okay, so if he was in the beginning, he's from the beginning, and he was with the Father, that means he has no beginning. He is with the Father. He has no end. He is eternal. He even says he is the eternal life. He is life. And so, look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 12. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 12. The same letter, he writes this. And this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You see, Jesus is life. He is the source of life. Only God can have that. He is creator of all things. He holds life in his hands. He sustains all things by the power of his word. If Jesus is doing that, if Jesus is life and he is the source of life, he is fully God. Fully God. He is divine. I want to read some other scriptures as well to you. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. It says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, Jesus is life. This happens multiple times in the New Testament. Jesus is described as life. John chapter 14, verse 6, we see, I am the way and the truth and the life. This is things that Jesus proclaimed about himself. This isn't things that are made up about Jesus. We don't come up with these things in our head. Jesus said, I am. Do you know the implications of that? Jesus said, I am. That's what God says. I am. I've always been. I've existed always. There's never been a moment where I wasn't. I am. John chapter 11, verse 25 through 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? He is the resurrection life. John chapter 6, verse 32 through 35, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread that you speak of. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never thirst again. You see the multiple scriptures that says Jesus is our life. Jesus is our source of life. We also see that Jesus has always existed with the Father and and he has created all things. So we see that 
in 1 John chapter one, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. He says, that which was from the beginning. He's speaking of Jesus. You also see that in verse 2. He says, uh, proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Jesus has always existed with the Father. And he is the creator of all things. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is creator of all things. He has always been. He will always be. He holds all things in his hands. Colossians chapter 1, 16 through 17. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's created all things. The fact that we are breathing, the fact that this world is spinning, the fact that it is a certain distance from the sun, it's all because Jesus holds it together. I play the, the, the keyboard, and there's a sustain pedal. It's the same idea. When you push down that sustain pedal and you, and you hit, a, hit a note, it holds. Jesus is sustaining all things. By the power of his word. We see that in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. I read all these scriptures to show you. There's multiple scriptures about who Jesus is. Jesus is God. He is divine. And those who say he's not, it's false. Do not believe them. There's people who will come knock on your door and they will tell you that Jesus is not God. They will say it. Don't believe that there's not people out there who believe that Jesus is not God. They don't see the clear scriptures as we see them. They will say, Jesus, he's not really God. That's false. And that's dangerous. That's very, very dangerous to believe. So don't believe that. That's one of the reasons John is writing this. He's saying, look, there's false teachers out there. You may not hear this very often. Y'all may not hear this very often from other people that Jesus is not God. Sometimes people don't even care to talk about this. But Jesus is God. He is fully God. But the crazy thing is he's fully man. That's a mystery. We can't fully understand what that looks like. Jesus is fully God and fully man? How does that even make sense? It doesn't. And it's okay. It's okay that we don't have to make sense of every small thing. It's because you know why? We're human. We're finite. He's infinite. He's greater than us. His ways are higher than ours. We don't have to fully understand it. But we do understand through Scripture that Jesus 
he emptied himself. He emptied himself and became a man. That is so gracious. That is so loving that he became human. And so, Jesus is God. The second thing we see is Jesus became flesh. He appeared. John experienced this to the fullest. You see that he heard, he seen, and he touched. Okay, think about the things John personally experienced as he walked with Jesus those three years of ministry. He heard Jesus preach a sermon on the mount, tell parables, tell blind people to see and dead people to come to life. He watched Jesus heal the blind, lame, and the dead, call demons out of men. He saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration as his face and clothes shine like the sun and heard God the Father say, I am pleased with him. Listen to my son. He watched Jesus be crucified, put in a grave, and then he saw Jesus resurrected. Has anybody ever seen a man in the grave three days and then resurrect? That is amazing. He got to saw Jesus resurrect from the dead by his own power. It's amazing. It says he even touched Jesus. I touched with my hands. The Gospel of John describes John lying back on Jesus' chest at the table of the Lord's Supper. He's lying back on Jesus' chest. He touched him. This is not some phantom. This is not some spirit or some something that they just imagine to see. This is real, tangible. This is tangible. It's like you coming and, and listening to me and, and being able to poke me and touch me. That's the way Jesus was. It's that real. And John got to experience it. But this is one of the things that John does in every single one of his books. He says that Jesus is the Word. When we first read that, that's kind of like, what does that mean? Jesus is the Word. Have you ever read that and said, man, Jesus is the Word. What What does that fully mean? I think it means, I believe it means we understand one of the main ways that God speaks to us and reveals himself to us, and that's through his word. When we read about him, when we read about what he said about himself. Um, So God has expressed himself through human words. So now we see Jesus come into the picture, and he's described as the word. We get that very same picture of Jesus being the Word. Jesus is the complete revelation of God to humanity because he is the exact representation of God and the radiance of God's glory. We just read that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. So Jesus is the complete revelation of who God is. That's what it means that Jesus is the Word. He is the Word of life. Isn't that amazing that Jesus came in bodily form and he represented God exactly the way he needed to be represented? Not one flaw, not one sin, not one moment was he not representing God fully in all his glory. That is amazing. So he is the one who speaks truth 
and the one who is truth by his very nature and his very being. John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth. I am truth. It's not that he just speaks truth. He is truth by his nature, by his, his very being. He is truth. God is truth. And Jesus is truth. So based upon this passage in 1 John and other passages in the Scripture, we understand that Jesus, who is fully God and was with the Father, has been revealed in history by, coming, by becoming man. Jesus is God-man. That's what we believe here at the Oaks. We believe Jesus is God-man. What does it matter? It matters greatly. This answers the question of who Jesus is and why it matters. It matters because Jesus, he humbled himself and became a man so that he could live a sinless life that we should have lived. This is the gospel. He makes atonement for the sins of the whole world by dying a gruesome, bloody death that we deserved. And he was raised from the dead so that we could have life and a right standing before God. Something we could never do on our own. On our own, we are hopeless. None of us here could live a perfect life. All of us in here have sinned. So right there, we're hopeless. We can't do it on our own. And none of this could even be possible unless Jesus came as a real tangible human, just as we are. So what we believe about Jesus is very important. And John wrote this to defend the truth about who Jesus was. And we must believe what John says, and we must believe what Jesus says about himself. His body, his blood that was shed is now the new way. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 22, we see that his body was the veil. It came in place. His flesh was the veil. Now we have a new way to the Father. We have a new way of fellowship. So we can enter the most holy place, and we have one who goes before us who has torn the veil and put his, his body in the place of that veil so that we can draw near and have fellowship with the Father and the Son. Do you see the picture of Jesus being a high priest? If you understand Old Testament, you understand what the book of Hebrews is all about. Jesus is our high priest. He's our perfect high priest. He doesn't offer up a lamb representing a man, but it was Jesus the man who is perfect representation of all humanity. Jesus is our perfect high priest because he makes us holy by the one sacrifice of his body once and for all. That's why it's important that Jesus is God and Jesus is man. He represents us. He's our substitute. Without him, we have no hope. Without him becoming man and humbling himself, we have no forgiveness of sins. And it was a price that he had to pay. He bought us with his blood. We are his. We are not our own. So when Jesus came and he died, 
He died in the flesh. And he suffered. And he bled. And he took nails in his hands and his feet. And he literally had thorns go in his head. He had all those things happen to him. Because we deserve that. But he took it on himself as a perfect man in our place. That is the gospel of Jesus. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. That we have life in his name. Only in Jesus do we have life. So what is the purpose of proclaiming this life, this word of life? Jesus. What's the purpose of it? John says that we may have fellowship with one another based upon our fellowship with the Father and the Son. He says this in verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So he writes these things and he proclaims Jesus to them so that they may have fellowship. They may have fellowship with one another. This fellowship is unique because this fellowship is based upon what God has done to each of us through Jesus Christ. Bonhoeffer, he puts it this way in his book, In Life Together. I want to read you a piece of what he says. He says, Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. This is true not merely at the beginning, as though it is the course of time, and in the course of time something else were to be added to our community. It remains so for all the future and to all eternity. I have community with others, and I shall continue to have it only through Jesus Christ. The more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede the more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we do have one another wholly and for all eternity. I want you to look to the left and the right of you. And those who are true believers, those are the people you will have fellowship with for all eternity. This is your family for eternity. Do you sometimes realize that when you come here and worship together? That you will have fellowship with each other forever. And it's only because of Jesus and what he's done. And that's what John is saying. He says, I write this and I say this and I proclaim this. I proclaim the word of life to you. So that you may have fellowship with us. Is that your desire? Do you have a desire to see people come into the fellowship? Do you have a desire to see people come into the fellowship of Christ and with us? That should be our desire. But that doesn't happen unless we proclaim the word of life. We have to proclaim Jesus to people. If we think that we can just walk and, and not talk and say anything about Jesus. If, we th- if you think that our lives are just going to shout out who Jesus is, it's not going to happen. I'm not saying that living a life for Jesus isn't going to make your testimony and your proclamation 
more clear and louder. But if you do not proclaim Jesus to people, they will not have fellowship with us. They will not have fellowship with the Father and the Son. Is that your desire? Has that been your desire? To see people come to know Jesus and to have true fellowship with him only through Jesus and what he's done. That's our proclamation. That's what we proclaim. That's our message. Jesus is God. He came in the flesh and he died in place of us and was raised on the third day so that we may have life in his name and that one day we will be glorified with him. And he's going to come back. He's going to judge all of man for what they've done. So, lastly we see, he writes this so our joy may be complete. Doesn't this gospel, this good news of Jesus and what he's done, give you joy? If it doesn't, if it doesn't, then what is your source of joy? What brings you complete joy? If it's something other, if you're satisfied in something other than Jesus, then it may be an idol that you have. It may be an idol that you have. Your complete source of joy is fellowship with the Father and fellowship with Jesus. So as the band comes up, I want to take a time to to respond. Maybe this is the first time you've ever set foot in a church of people. This is the first time you ever really heard the gospel. This is the first time maybe the gospel has been preached and it's compelled you. It's caused you to think, wow, I need to repent. I need Jesus. I need to live for him. If that's you, I want you to get with someone. I want you to get with Joe. I want you to get with Casey, Jason, anyone that you trust as a believer. Get with them. And we'll talk through what this means to follow Jesus and be a disciple of Jesus. Maybe, uh, maybe fellowship with believers and bringing other people in the fellowship hasn't been something you've thought about in a long time where it's not a desire of yours like John's desire is to bring people into the fellowship. If that's true. You need to really ask why that is true. Why do we not care enough to bring people into the fellowship with us? To proclaim Christ to people. If that's true, maybe you just need to, to pray, to really seek repentance, whatever it is, do that. Also, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper. And as we take the Lord's Supper, we remember that he did come in the flesh and he was broken for us. And that he did bleed and suffer for us that we may have salvation. So as we take the Lord's Supper, let us remember Christ and what he's done. Let us proclaim the gospel to one another. Let us pray with our families as we take the Lord's Supper. Let us take it as we examine our hearts and our minds and our lives. Let's not take it uh, nonchalant. Let's not take it in such a way that it's, that it's not honoring to God. But let's take it in such a way 
that Jesus is glorified and Jesus is proclaimed among us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he has come, that he has made a perfect way for us, that he has humbled himself, and he alone is worthy of our praise. We desire to be obedient to him, and we desire to love him, and seek him and follow him in all of our ways. God, we pray that Jesus would be lifted up this morning and exalted, that his name alone is worthy and honored, so that you, Father, would be honored. God, I pray that, th- that your spirit would reveal to our hearts whatever needs to be revealed, and that your word, through your word, you would reveal truth to us, and that it would compel us to look more like your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come and take up the Lord's Supper.